Good morning, Cornerstone Church. How is everybody doing? So good to see you guys. Hey, my name is Scott, and I want to welcome you here to Cornerstone Church. I want to give a shout out to the campuses in Santan and Scottsdale and everyone joining us at Cornerstone Online. Come on, everybody here in Chandler. Let's give it up for all the folks joining in with us today. Come on. I know this is the loud and the rowdy crowd, right? Okay, so just, yeah, that's right, I got one guy on my side, let's do this thing. Uh, today, we're going to wrap up this year at Cornerstone with a bang, and uh, this has been a great year at Cornerstone. I mean, now I'm kind of a guest speaker, but I wanted to say, because I've been here so much, it's been an awesome year at Cornerstone. You guys celebrated 20 years of incredible ministry. You just got done with Christmas Eve with thousands and thousands of people here, people coming to Christ, great things are happening. And I just wanted to say, because Pastor Lynn's not here, so he doesn't like me to do this, but because he's not here, we're going to do it. I'm going to say, Pastor Lynn has been a true blessing in my life this past year. He's a great leader. I appreciate him so much. Uh, I'll tell you, he really, he just oozes leadership and his teaching is incredible. I'm, I'm genuine about this. I really appreciate his investment in my life. And y'all have a great team here at this church to your staff and all the volunteers. Let's give it up for everybody who just does such a great job every single week here at this church. And then to cap it all off, I got to say this. I'm not patronizing. I'm telling you the truth. You guys are the easiest people to talk to of all the churches I go and speak to. You guys are the funnest, the most engaged, and you're just so lively and boisterous. I don't know what it is if they put something in the coffee, but man, you guys are awesome. So give it up for you. I'm telling you, really give it up for you. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it's the simplest things in our life that can have the greatest impact. And my concern for today's conversation is that its simplicity might cause us to overlook the power of this conversation in our life. So I want to encourage you, don't, uh, don't do that. When you're thinking, oh, I've heard this before, oh, it's so simple, I guarantee you this, that what, what we're going to get out of God's Word today is ap- applicable for both those of us who are followers of Christ and those who aren't. I mean, this is a principle that we cannot get around, and it's going to impact your life. Now, before we get to it, I will say that if we were to look back at this past year, 2015, through the filter of what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes, we will be able to see that where we are today is in part due to how we've applied this conversation. And then as we move forward into the next year, if we apply this on a regular basis, it will dramatically impact our lives. It will improve the environments in our home, in the workplace. It could heal some fractured relationships in our life. And it could help us be uh, better husbands and wives if you're married, better parents if you're a parent, better friends at school with those around you. So I want to encourage you to take some notes. I got a few things to say that you might want to go back to and look on. So grab a pen if you have it. Grab your phone. If you're a Packer fan, grab your crayons and get ready to write some things down here because we got some stuff that we want to say to you today. So here it is. Um, a few days ago, actually it was on the 23rd, Christmas Eve Eve, I was in my car and I was heading someplace and I looked out on my dash and this is what I saw. And then you put the picture up on the screen. What I saw was that right there. Have you ever seen that when you look down your dash? That's not ex- the exact fuel gauge in my car, but it looked like that. And the only thing that's different is mine had this little orange light on. Anybody have the, the fuel light in your car? When that goes off, what do you think? It's like, oh, okay, here's, here's the difference between men and women when the, when the fuel light goes off. 
When the light goes on for the ladies, this is how my wife acts anyway, basically that's a signal that says, warning, you're about to run out. Pull over and fuel up. Now for many of us guys, when we see that fuel light go on, the one word we hear is not warning, it's challenge. How far can you go? Because every guy knows there's about 20 miles left in that tank. And we can make it for six more exits or one more day because we are not slaves to our gas gauge people. We lead in our life. We wear the pants in this world. And so we look at it differently, but it's basically saying you're running out. You're about to go empty. You'd better fuel up. Have you ever felt that way in life? Have you ever felt like you're on empty emotionally? The demands of work, the stress of finances, the, the parenting demands in marriage and relationships and all of this stuff and the pressures. Do you ever feel like, man, I, I'm, I'm on e- emotionally. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to run out. Or maybe you feel that way spiritually. If you're a spiritual person, you're like, man, I'm dry. I got nothing. Where is God? I haven't been able to really kind of pursue him in my life for a long time due to all this other stuff going on. And you're running on E in your life spiritually. Maybe it's physically, especially in the holidays that we're running all over the place. We're running, running, running and eating, eating, eating and running, and eating, and running, and eating, and running. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting physically like exhausted and out of shape. And we just get to this place in life. But here's the difference between a car or an automobile and a person. When a car runs out of fuel, it stops. When we run out of fuel, we keep going. We can literally live on fumes for a long, long time. We're never at our best when we're running on fumes, but we can go for a long time, but we tend to kind of fall apart a little bit on the way. And so today, I want to talk about this simple conversation about how to live on full and not fumes. Everybody say, live on full, full. not fumes. fumes. Now, I don't want to be overdramatic and say that we can always live on full, but I'm telling you, we can have plenty to live on and not live on fumes if we apply what we're going to talk about today. So here's the first thing. If we're going to live on full and not always running on fumes emotionally, spiritually, physically, here's what we're going to do. And basically the first thought, get ready to write this down. Assume you guys got your crayons, right? Put yourself first. Everybody say, me first. Now say it like you believe it. Say, me first. I want to encourage you this year, 2016, I want it to be the most selfish year you've ever had. I want you to think about you and put yourself first. Think about yourself first. And some of you are nudging and saying, oh my gosh, I thought this was a church. Aren't they supposed to like put others first and serve other people? Yeah, but you got to put yourself first. Because Jesus did the very same thing. Jesus, remember that guy? The Son of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who lived the life we couldn't live without sin, to die the death we can't die, which has paid the price for everyone's sin, who rose again from the dead. All divinity, while at the same time, all of humanity. And in his humanity, he had to put himself first. Let me prove it. Turn to your Bible, if you have it, in Luke chapter 5. And let's go right into, I think it's verse 15. 
Luke 15 and 16. Are y'all still with me? Okay, because we're going to end up this year with a bang, guys. I'm going to give away a $1,000 bill to the one who smiles the most while I'm talking. That's the only lie I'm going to say the whole time. All right, Luke 5, 15 and 16 says, in regard to Jesus, he's doing all these miracles. His ministry is exploding. God's doing great things. And he says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. He had demands on his life, much different than you and me, much greater. But at the same time, we have our demands on our life as well. So basically his were, everybody's thronged around him and they want something from him. Verse 16 now says something really interesting. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why would he do that? I'm going to speculate, I think it's a safe speculation, that in his humanity, he needed strength from his heavenly father. He needed to get away and he needed to pray. I, uh, I flew in here yesterday, yesterday afternoon, and it was a bumpy ride. How many of you guys love bumpy flights? I don't know. It's creeped me out. If you are an airline pilot or an airline attendant, I love you. You are like my hero. You do, you're amazing because basically we're like, hop in, strap up. We're going to go really high, really fast, and then we're coming down again. And we're like, all right, let's go. And this is crazy what you guys do. We're flying into Phoenix and we're about 80 miles out. And the, the captain comes on and basically, you know, in their nice, calm voice, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to die in just a moment. I mean, that's what, the, that's what I hear, right? Ladies and gentlemen, you might want to strap it down because it's going to be you know, one heck of a ride. And we literally going through some bumps and I, it didn't feel normal to me because we started our, dis- we made a really, to me, which felt like a steep descent really fast. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And anyway, I got to get past that because I'm feeling it all over again. I'm getting all scared again. But it was a really bumpy flight, but we made it here safe, thank goodness. But every time I get on a flight and it starts out, we start the flight, they go through their pre-flight stuff, the pre-flight routine. And every single time someone says, in the unexpected event that we lose cabin pressure, And I think, I hope it's unexpected. I mean, that's crazy. But in the unexpected event that we lose cabin pressure, your oxygen mass is going to drop down in front of you. And then they go on to say, if there's a child or anyone you want to assist, make sure you what? Put yours on first. Because you got to be breathing if you're going to help somebody else. We all know that. If I, I need oxygen in order to help the person next to me, but it's so counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense to me. Oh my, oh my goodness, this is a bad situation. We need oxygen. Here's a child sitting next to me. I need to help them first. That's what I would naturally do on a reflex. But no wisdom says, put the mask on yourself because if you pass out, you can't help them. And it's the same thing in our life. If we're going to live on full before we even help anybody else, we have to get, let God fuel us up, fill us up. We've got to put the oxygen mask on us. That's why I say, put yourself first in your life so that you can then help fill other people up, which we'll get to in just a moment. So what's this look like? I would just say this. When you put yourself first, when you think about the oxygen mask, basically get away and get alone with God on a regular basis. That's not profound, but I guarantee it impacts every day. Get away, get alone with God. 
Now, for me, the way that I do this, it's really super simple. Nothing spectacular about this. I'm more of a morning person. Anybody a morning person? Raise your hands. Anybody here is a morning person, spiritual people? Yeah. Um, how many of you guys are the night owls, man? Nighttime. This is, you are the artists, the musicians, the creatives, those who, yeah, um, go to like Walmart at three in the morning when they're open, wearing your sweatpants and all that kind of stuff. That's you. So think about this conversation in your context and figure out how to apply it because none of us can get around this reality that we have to get away and get alone with God to allow him to fill us up because life is incredibly demanding. Get, what I do is, I'll just get up in the morning, and it's before Shelly and the kids get up, and it's pretty mellow. I'll read some of my Bible, pray a little, and just kind of process things for my day. And it's that's it. It's really nothing rocket science. Sometimes I'll read a few bi- uh, verses of Scripture. Sometimes I'll read a couple chapters. But I always just try to take some time and just to kind of chew on it a little. And say, God, what do you have to say to me in this? And I am amazed how... Whenever I have something to say spiritually, it usually comes from what I got from God that morning. It's amazing how what he spoke to us in the morning applies to other people's lives throughout the day. But we've got to get away. We've got to get alone with God if we're going to live on full and not fumes. We just can't get around it. Because here's what often happens when I'm talking with friends about this. We're talking about growing spiritually. When we say, you got to get away, you got to get along with God, you got to create some space in your life to give time for that, our natural response is, but I don't have time. Are you kidding me? I don't have time. Well, I would just say respectfully and friendly, we can argue about it till we're blue in the face, but that's the way God designed us to live. And if we don't figure out how to do that, we are not going to live at full strength or with a full tank. We're going to be running on fumes until we figure out how to get away and how to spend time with God. So this year, Figure it out if you haven't yet. Let God fill you up. Because here is the fun part. Once he fills you up, you can go around and you can start fueling everybody up around you. And you can be someone who helps others to get full. And here's how we do that. So now that we know one of the ways for God to fill us up. Did you guys get that part? You first, right? Everybody say, me first. first. Now to help other people fuel up, I'm going to give you a couple ways that will dramatically impact other people's lives. And I'm talking out of experience here and we're going to back it up with scripture. The first thing is this, to, uh, to help fuel others around you, it comes through the words you speak. It's what we say to them. Our words are incredibly powerful. In fact, turn to the Old Testament, if you have a Bible, and go to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Let me show you this. This is one of those verses where it's really, really insightful. It says, the tongue referring to the words that we speak. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Isn't that interesting? That our words are carriers of life or death. The words that we speak can build people up or it can tear them down. The words that we speak can encourage or discourage. Our words can be life-giving or it can squelch and take life from other people. Now, Christian or non-Christian, we know that this is, this is a fact. And maybe you're even thinking of a time right now where someone came alongside you and said something to you that was very life-giving and it's exactly what you needed to continue to move forward, to take that next step. 
It filled you up or it gave you some strength for the day just because of the words they spoke. And maybe some of us can think about, if we thought about it long enough, uh, we were on the receiving end of some discouraging words or some words that were intended to tear us down and it can just kind of mess up your day. And for some of us, we can remember way back a long time ago some words that someone spoke, maybe consistently, that we're still trying to shake it off. Because our words have the power of life and death in them. We can build people up or we can tear them down. Have you ever heard someone get frustrated? We did this as kids when we get mad at each other and we were name calling. We get all mad and sometimes tears in our eye and we would say, Oh yeah! Well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... You think it's true? Not at all. Our words can fill people up or can deplete them. God has given us the ability to bring life or to bring death through the words that we speak. Let me show you another place in Scripture that affirms this. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Are you guys still with me? Good, good. So it says, Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This verse is one of those in my life where every time I read it, I can remember exactly how God used this in my life. When When I really came across this, uh, God really convicted me when I read this because I used to believe that one of my greatest spiritual gifts was sarcasm. It was my love language. And then my wife would gently and consistently remind me that it really wasn't very loving to be so sarcastic to everyone around me. When I was thinking the whole time, I'm like, well, yeah, man, if I'm, if I'm messing with you and tearing you down, it was an expression of affection. And she would say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how it's being received. And God has so convicted me about this. And he used this verse right here, that the words that I speak, that they, they should be helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. And it was in this time when God was really messing with me in a good way on the words I was saying to people. Was it life or was it not? Was I building up or tearing down that, that he, he, show, I don't remember if someone said this to me or I just got it from the Lord, but I remember just kind of processing all this. I was convicted. How do I change? And basically came out with this thought is every interaction is a transaction. We're either making deposits or withdrawals every single time. Every single time you and I interact with another human being, It's a transaction. And by the words that we speak, are we making deposits where we're building equity in that account? Or are we making withdrawals to the words we speak and decreasing equity? Are we tearing people down and tearing down that relationship? And so much so, this impacted me that it's on my mind regularly. And if it's not at the forefront of my mind, it's kind of in the back of my mind as a habit. So now whenever I interact with people... And sometimes I mess it up because I get sarcastic. But I always have this in my mind is, this is a transaction. This interaction is a transaction. And I don't know where this person's been. I don't know what they've been walking through. I don't know what they're afraid of. I don't know what they're wrestling with. I don't know what they're excited about. But I want this interaction to be a transaction where I make a deposit into their life. 
And it can be in the simplest of moments. It can be at the paper copier at work or at the water cooler or saying hi to somebody as they come into church in a way that engages someone and basically says, I'm for you. I'm not against you. God has given us this ability to help fill other people up through the words we say. Every single interaction is a transaction. I would even argue no interaction is neutral. It's either going to add or take away in that relationship or that person's life in some way, even if it's a small thing. The words we say, guys, are it's huge. This is going to change the environment in our house, the relationships with our kids, our spouse, our friends, those in the office. If you're a leader at work, the culture that you're building is every interaction is a transaction. We're making deposits or withdrawals. Another way, in addition to the words we say, to building people up, is the time that we invest with them. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Everybody say Thessalonians. I always get tripped up when I say that book. Is anybody else, or is it just me? I'm like, first, so I always feel like saying, but First Thessalonians chapter 2, and here's what it says in verse 11. For you know, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Dads take note, but everyone take note because this applies to every relationship. For we know, um, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. When we spend time with people, or I should say better, when we invest time with people, are we encouraging them in some way? Are we comforting them in some way? Or are we urging them on in life to live according to God's call in their life? This is a big deal. My, my thing is, I've made it a goal, and I might hit it half the time, I mean, honestly, because it's, it's a challenge for me. Whenever I'm with someone, when they walk out of the room, I want them to be able to say, either consciously or subconsciously, man, I'm encouraged. Or, I'm comforted more than I was when I walked into that room. Or, I'm urged on to pursue after the life God has for me. And I want to encourage you guys, make it a goal this year. Fill others up by being someone who's going to encourage. By being someone who's going to come along someone else when they're walking through a tough time. You be the person that says, you know what? You got this. I believe in you. You are gifted at this. You can crush this. Keep going. This place needs you. Thank you so much for walking with integrity through this season because you are a light to those around you and we need people of integrity in this place. Thank you for doing that. Be that person who encourages someone. So when they walk out, they're like, yeah, man, I'm encouraged. Or be that someone who comforts others. How that looks for me is comforting someone else is often you're a listener. You're listening and you're empathetic as best you can be. My wife, when she shares something with me, I'm just like every other guy. When, when your wife shares a challenge with you, what do guys want to do? We want to fix it, right? They don't want fixing, at least in my understanding. My wife just wants to be heard. And she wants to know that I care enough about her to give her my full attention and to be fully present. She doesn't want me to fix it. She just wants me to walk through it with her, to comfort her and be there with her. Be that kind of person for people in your life. 
Be someone who's going to urge others to live the life that God's called them to. How's that look? Well, if someone you know is a follower of Christ, urge them on when they're walking through something. Say, ask them questions like, hey, what do you think God might be telling you to do right now? Or when you pray, what, what's he prompting you to do? What does God's word say about your situation? How can you walk that out? Or how does that decision align with scripture? Urge them on. Challenge one another in a loving way, man. Come on. God's got something for us here. Let's live this thing out and be that person that when they walk out of the room, man, they're going to feel like, they're like Larry Fitzgerald, man, who's going to score like three touchdowns today. And Carson Palmer's going to get 800 yards. And the three Packer fans hate me right now, but that's all right because God loves you anyway, right? So be that person. Now I got to say, my mom is a big Packers fan, so it's all good. But if we're going to live full, we've got to put ourselves first. Let God fill us up. Get away, get alone with him. And then if we're going to fill those around us, realize God has given us the power of life and death in our words. Build people up. Don't tear them down through what we say. And then when we invest time with them, be someone who's an encourager, who's a comforter, who's urging them on to live the life that God's called them to. A number of years ago, I was uh, uh, working at a church where I kind of grew up. I came to Christ at this church in Michigan. I was a children's pastor. Children's pastors are awesome, by the way. They have the hardest job in the church, and they're awesome, so you better appreciate them. It was a church that was about seven or 8,000 people, so it's kind of like this, pretty big place. And I was, we would do this rotation, and we called it Pastor on Call. And it would be two or three of us would be on call. So if someone called that day, they needed to talk to a pastor, they stopped in, they had someone to talk to. And in Michigan, it was funny because um, in the wintertime, everybody called. Because they hadn't seen the sunshine in like three or four months. So they thought the devil was all over their back. You know, like, oh my God, I wanted to just take my own life. And well, then the sun came out and the phone quit ringing. It's kind of funny, but don't tell anybody I said it was funny because that's kind of sarcastic to say that. So... I'm in, I'm in, I'm in call one day. I get a call. I'm sitting in my office. I'm doing some work. I wasn't golfing like many of you think Lynn does. I don't know if he golfs, but I don't golf. So I was working and I got a phone call and it was, Hey, someone's calling. They want to talk to a pastor. Can you talk to him? I'm like, sure, absolutely. And this was a lady on the other end of the phone. I'll never forget this call. Never met her after, never met her before. It was a one-time conversation. We get on the phone, we share pleasantries. And I said, what, what, is there anything I can help you with? And she says, yeah, um, I'm going to file for divorce, and before I do that, I just want to talk to a pastor at my church and let him know. I didn't know if she's looking for approval or if she was looking for me to talk her off the ledge. I, I didn't know. And at that point, I was, um, I'd been married maybe four years, young in ministry stuff, and so I didn't really have a lot of experience I didn't know what to say. I'm like, okay, well, where do we go from here? But then I just, I asked her, I said, well, how long have you been married? And she says, 38 years. So she, she had been alive longer or she'd been married longer than I'd been alive. So I'm thinking, well, ma'am, can you hold on? I know your problem's tough, but can I ask you questions? Cause I can't figure this marriage thing out either. Would you help me? Is what I was thinking. But she says, I've been married 38 years and I'm done with this man. I'm going to leave him. I'm going to file for divorce. It's over. And I'm sitting there, four years of marriage, I didn't know what to do. And so I thought, well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I just thought, what would Dr. Phil do? Right? I love Dr. Phil. I think he's awesome. What would he do? So <laughs> I just got to went for it. And I said, well, um, I said, well, can you give me a, an example of 
what he does that would make you want to file for divorce. And she says, oh, I can give you one. I can give you one from just a few days ago. I said, go ahead. She says, well, first, every day when he comes home from work, he sits down in his lazy boy and he reads the paper for about an hour. Doesn't even talk, doesn't communicate. He just locks himself in the zone, reads his newspaper, and you can tell it was frustrating her that, that he was doing that. And so, and she says, so he's reading his newspaper. I'm doing some work upstairs. So I went out in the garage. I grabbed the ladder and I'm carrying it up the stairs and I'm kind of banging against the wall. I'm obviously struggling to get the ladder up the stairs. He can hear me. I know he can. And guess what he does? Keeps reading the paper. No, I know enough to know there's always two sides of the story, so I'm not siding here with her or against him. But she says, he didn't do anything. And I, I said, well, okay, what else would Dr. Phil, what might he do here? And I said, well, how'd that make you feel? <laughs> I don't know if she shared any expletives or not, but she said, very angry. And I said, uh, I said, uh, well, how could he have, well, what could he have done different that would make you feel different? And by that time, I kind of got in a roll. I'm like, oh man, that's good. Awesome. I need my TV show or something. Like, what could he have done different? She says, well, she thinks for a moment. She says, well, you know what he could have done? He could have put the paper down and he could have said, hey, honey, can I help? And he could have just literally walked up and grabbed the ladder for me and brought it up the stairs. Right? And I said, yeah. Thinking, what do I ask now? And I said, how would that have made you feel? She starts crying. She's bawling. I'm sitting on the phone with this lady who's probably close to 60 years old. I'm in my young 30s, which must have been like two weeks ago. And... (laughs) She's bawling. And I'm like, ah, awkward moment. What do I do here? So I just stayed silent for a little bit. Must have been 30 seconds or more. Felt like forever. And I said, um, if he would have done that for you, how would it make you feel? And she says, it'd probably save our marriage. And it blew me away. It would save her marriage. She wouldn't have filed for divorce if her husband would have put the newspaper down and carried the ladder up the stairs. I don't know where it went from there. I prayed with her, encouraged her to get to try to convince him to do some marriage counseling together. Uh, I don't know if they ever did. But I share that story that really doesn't resolve itself to say this. If he would have simply said life-giving words to her, if he would have been someone who chose to encourage her, to comfort her, And to urge her on, she wouldn't have filed for divorce. You see, guys, our words and our actions, they either fill people up or they drain people. And God has given us the awesome ability and responsibility to be people who fill others up. But it'll never happen unless we're full ourselves and we get that from God. So I just want to encourage you today, as you go into the new year, remember... Every interaction is a transaction. You're either making deposits or withdrawals. And take care of yourself. Get alone. Get away with God. And then fill other people up through the words that we say. Build them up. 
Be an encourager. Be someone who comforts other people and be someone who urges them on to live the life that God's called them to. And I guarantee if you do that, you're going to change the environment that you're in. Because that's what God will do. Let's bow our heads and let's just pray today. Father God, I thank you so much for the simple truth, Lord. You've given us the, the ability to bring, be carriers of life and death through our words, Lord. God, remind us to be people who bring life and bring encouragement to those around us. And as we continue to pray, uh, Lord, I just want to pray for, for anyone here who may be on the receiving end of discouraging words or words that have tore them down or anyone here who's running on empty and living on fumes, God, emotionally, spiritually. God, I pray that in this moment that you'd, you'd fuel them up, Lord. Let them walk out of here with some fuel Fill them up. Speak an encouraging word to their heart by your spirit, Lord. We thank you that you love us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. So God, I pray that you'd you'd give us strength so that we can go fuel those around us. And Lord, we're incredibly grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.